0: we're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Oh, my goodness. We have a guest with us this week.
0: Yeah, we got another guest.
1: Oh, it's so exciting. I love having guests. This week, we have Marika. You want to introduce yourself and say hi, Marika?
2: Yeah. Hi, Marika. Um, (laughs) I'm
1: Marika Bell. (laughs) I'm from
2: the podcast, The Deal with Animals. It's an anthrozoology podcast, which is... Anthrozoology is the connection between humans and other animals. So it's it's sort of a science-based podcast. I I interview a lot of academics, but I also really like to interview professionals and enthusiasts and really get a variety of voices and perspectives. So it's not super science-heavy, but it can be on certain episodes. So... It's uh it's you know I've got a background in dog dog training too. So I do get a lot of cool. dog trainers on um which is always kind of fun for me because I get to talk about you know the thing that I already know about but all of my other guests pretty much are bringing things that I have no idea about and it's really fun to learn. So it's uh yeah, it's really fun. I hope people can join me on that podcast too sometime. Yeah, yeah
0: definitely go Very check cool. it out. Yeah, it's always we always love learning new things. I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why we're here.
2: That is
1: why yeah. we're here. That's one of the reasons why we're here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, I think it's your turn to uh, kick things off this week. What do it you got for is. us? It is.
1: <laughs> so on the show, we've talked about invasive species before. Um, oh, and truly, sure, truly invasive species are just organisms that happen to be very good at what they do and what they are mm-hmm. in a space that hasn't evolved with that organism where there's usually checks and balances in the ecosystem to make sure that one doesn't right. take over so that's a very they don't have nice that.
0: definition Rachel
1: thank you I thought really hard about it because I <laughs> had a lot of feelings about invasive species as I think we've heard from my buckthorn episode but I mean, it is true. Like, they just are plants that are really good at what they do, and we they're just growing in places we yeah. don't want them to grow, and we brought them in, and now they're taking over and having negative impacts a lot of the time. Anyway. Um, they're often
0: some of the most amazing plants out there.
1: Oh, exactly. Um, so, let's talk about one of the most invasive plants in the world, shall we?
0: Oh, we shall. Yeah. So...
1: This plant was brought over to North America in the 1800s um, for decorative purposes, of course. Um, It's a very pretty perennial. It has like really nice leaves and flowers and things. And it was used as a privacy shrub because it grows really dense thickets. Um, Originally, it was found in Japan, uh, Korea, and Taiwan. And uh, China, uh-huh. and it can grow is exceptionally quick, which we'll talk about. So today, I'm talking about. Guess? I, think I, I think I
0: see where Ooh. this is going.
1: Yeah, you want to guess? Go
2: for it. I don't know. Do we get? To, do, I, I would love to, to try to guess. I have two two yeah, thoughts though, but it. I want to hear. I want to hear more hints first. Oh,
1: I was just going to say what it was. So if you have a guess, oh, was go say for the it. Name, Okay, so... is it is it the blackberry bush? Ooh, it is not.
0: Oh, I was thinking kudzu. It is not. Okay. But close. Okay, so but that's not really a bush, it's more of a vine, so it's mm-hmm. not out. weed.
2: That's 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 my
0: second oh, guess is not weed. That's a good guess too.
1: Today, I'm talking about Re japonica. Or
0: Japanese knotweed. Yes. Yeah, there it is. I get it. <laughs> the Japan the Japan clue. There it was. Yep. hmm
1: Um, so this plant is wild. Like clearly you've heard about you've heard of this, uh, Marika. And so have you, Kirk, yeah? Oh yes.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Okay. I really hadn't. I'm guessing heard a lot of our
0: listeners haven't, so yeah,
1: I really hadn't until I actually heard about it from um I heard about it from uh the Black Forager. Um Who does a lot mm. of really cool like um foraging tips and things like that, and she talked about this plant at one point. It was really cool um hint for later so this plant is wild um it is quite literally under the World Conservation Society. It is listed as one of the most invasive species in the world. It's found just about everywhere mm. except for Antarctica. Wow. <laughs> on every continent give it time <laughs> right um so overall it looks similar to bamboo in a way and has these hollow stems that have those distinctive like nodes that bamboo has
0: sure sure
1: but mm-hmm. they're not related to bamboo really at all <laughs> so eh. they're pretty actually they're really pretty why
2: people wanted to bring them over yeah Exactly. Um,
1: Leaf and stem wise, it looks and has been mistaken a lot for like dogwood and lilac. It has that heart shaped, uh, simple broad leaf Um, and has these really pretty like white thin flowers uh, in the early summer Mm -hmm. and spring um, that are just they are really, really pretty, which I understand why you would want that as like a shrub between your house and your neighbors. I get it. I don't approve, but I get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and but truly, we're not here to like learn the identification and everything about this plant. We want the weird stuff, right? Uh, yeah, so, we can look up what stuff. it looks
0: like online if you don't know. Give me the weirds.
1: <laughs> exactly. I'll have pictures of it on face on our Facebook and socials and things. Um, so this plant. Uh, is perennial. It it will grow up and die back every single year. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. This plant can grow uh, 10 to 13 feet or 3 to 4 meters every growing season. I have a great story about this
0: one later, by the way. Okay, good. The joys of the boreal forest.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, So this plant... I'll just restart. (laughs) Yep. So this plant can grow 10 to 13 feet uh, or three Mm -hmm. to four meters each growing season. Which I think is insane. That's a large amount. (laughs) That's, that's at least two Rachel's. (laughs) That's very
0: (laughs) quick. Yes. Two Rachel's.
1: Oh man. And it's like in a dense thicket. That means that its growth rate is eight inches per day in height.
0: What? Yeah. Eight inches a day? Eight inches a day. Work, if it's going eight inches a day, I mean, it must get to its height and then stop. It's not growing throughout the whole growing season then. Right. Okay. It gets to a so certain like eight height. Eight inches a day for a whole growing season. It's going to be the tallest of the Empire State Building.
1: <laughs> right. No, it it does reach a max height. Um, okay. But okay. still, that like when it Most grows, it grows eight uh, up to eight inches in height per day, which I thought was like That's I'm sorry. Astounding. You could yeah. probably sit and watch this plant actually grow. Yeah. In real time. Amazing. I mean. If that's what you want to do in your free time, that is, you know, weird. I mean, you know, there's worse ways to spend you. your time. Watching paint dry. Yeah. Um. So this is a really uh, hardy plant, as is, I mean, it's an invasive species for the most part. So, except in like its native range. So, obviously, it has some really hardy conditions. So, Japanese knotweed can survive drought. It can survive high salinity, erosion. Uh, It actually um, thrives in disturbed soils uh, and can actually survive a variety of pH levels and different types of soil. Um, The roots, which are also crazy, um, are rhizomous, which means that it can sprout up from from just the roots. But the roots themselves uh, can survive... They would be able to survive up here, uh, where I am currently, because they can survive uh, temps of negative 31 degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> Ooh, or that's, uh, that's real cold, um, or negative 35 degrees Celsius. But what blew my mind is that horizontally, the roots can grow out 23 to 65 feet
0: Mm-hmm. which what? is 7 to 20 mm-hmm. meters. That's just horizontal. That's, again, in one growing season, right?
1: Wow. No, not in one growing oh. season.
0: <laughs> oh. Just in general. They're saying in just one in growing general. season. I'm like, what? No, in not general. just okay, this so is over, in general. Because the roots over stay okay. Over many seasons.
1: Over many seasons, yeah. Okay.
0: And All then right, they, well, that's... That's a little better but still holy that's, cow.
2: That's but what that means is you could chop it map. down, right? And then yeah. and think you got rid of it and then it's oh, still it'll under come right there back. way further away than, up, from the main plant than
0: you 60 thought. Feet later. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: it's really good at like spreading from the roots. It's it's uh, it's terrible about it. Like it that's a main thing that it does. Um but it also, most plants that I've found is if they grow out really wide, if they grow horizontally really wide, they don't tend to go very deep um, because they're putting a lot of oh, their energy out. Okay. That's what I've found, at least with plants. Like they tend t- to do that. Hmm. This one doesn't do that. Um, it can grow about 10 feet or three meters down into the soil, which of course makes removal extremely
0: hard. How do you- yeah very hard you can't dig it 10 feet out yeah
1: no and if you miss one little root one little rhizome it will sprout right back up Mm -hmm. like no no problem yeah so and this root system is so strong that if it finds any sort of like crack or weakness in any any like concrete foundation or a building or a road or retaining wall it is actually damaged and like it has like grown into houses before like this plant is insane oh yeah
0: i've seen i've seen photos it's wild like growing right through asphalt right through concrete like Mm -hmm. just busting its way through it Mm -hmm. like
1: any sort of weakness it will find its way and just go at it which is it's a crinoid it does what it wants (laughs) uh so what can we do right so there's obviously there's the physically pulling the young shoots and you can smother it and you can cut it back and treat the um the root uh system so that way it doesn't resprout and that's what a lot of um a lot of people are doing including the National Park Service but you can also take the young shoots and you can actually eat them. So you can eat harvest yeah, the young I thought mm-hmm. that's where you're going. Yeah, so the young shoots them. are apparently similar to rhubarb in taste and you can prepare them they're pretty sour but if you like prepare them similarly to rhubarb and you consistently harvest and eat young shoots it prevents over a few years it'll actually prevent new growth from coming back um and you get a fun tasty snack so there is that so
0: basically like a strawberry knotweed pie
1: exactly yum oh give it a shot I really yeah. want to try it now. Although
0: I, I hope to I hope to not run into any knotweed anywhere near me, but
1: Right. Mm. Um, so that's what I have for you all this week. Uh, my sources were the National Park Service, Wikipedia, and several different states DNR pages. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of state DNRs that are real keen on <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> educating the public about the horrors oh. of knotweed. Oh Thanks yeah. You, Rachel.
1: Yeah. So we're gonna take a quick break and when we return We'll have Marika.
0: Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash nature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature see you soon
2: okay we're back from our break and now it's my turn so i want to astound you all yes with um what i've learned from a recent book i've been reading called an immense world by ed yong is this one that you guys have heard about yet
0: Hmm. Uh I know Ed Ed Young, uh, but I, I'm not familiar with his uh with the with this particular book. Okay, yeah. so it
2: just recently came out. Chapter two and three is kind of what I'm gonna be focusing on here because it just blew my mind. And if you haven't read the book yet, I mean the whole <laughs> thing is mind blowing. Like right. almost He's every sentence. Writer. I'm just like, what are you kidding me? So <laughs> so this is what I want to focus on eyes and how eyes perceive color. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to start with a question that Yang brings up in the book, which is why do giant squids have huge eyeballs, right? They have, like, the biggest eyeballs in the entire world, especially for their size. They're, like, the size of soccer balls. Except that most animals who live in the water are monochromats, which means they see in black and white. They don't see color. Mm -hmm. You don't need color vision underwater. Uh, It's just not necessary. So most... Most animals underwater have not evolved color vision. So, so they're, they're monochromats. They don't see color, which is interesting in and of itself that squids and other uh, cephalopods don't see color because, I mean, the cuttlefish is known for being, like, right, this <laughs> oh, crazy wild ability to, yeah, to blend into anything and, and match any colors and match any textures, but it cannot see color itself.
1: Wow. which is so wild. yeah that
2: in and of itself is kind of crazy so if giant squids first of all they they don't see color and they live so far down in the ocean right that there's mm-hmm. pretty much no light at all so why even have these giant eyeballs if you're not going to see color you don't have great vision you 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 know you just see black and white except there's almost no white because of the reflection what you are seeing is Uh, bioluminescence when it happens, because a lot of the animals down there are bioluminescent, right? But they don't need it to find their prey. They don't use their eyeballs to find their prey. What they're actually using their eyeballs for, okay, so who knows what eats giant squid? Sperm whale. Uh, Sperm whales? Sperm whale, right. So sperm whale will dive down, but the squid wouldn't be able to see the sperm whale because it It's a a dark sperm whale, and the thing about, you know, the ocean is that it's black, and the sperm whale is... (laughs) Right. It's great camouflage. Right. So how do they possibly get away from the sperm whale? What they're actually doing is they're watching for the bioluminescent shadow of the whale as it comes through all the bioluminescent animals and sets them off. It can actually see... Yeah, it can see the whale coming from a great distance with its huge eyeballs because it's seeing the reflection off of the bioluminescent animals. It needs huge eyeballs to see that whale coming. And because it's the Wild. only thing that the whales really eat, none of the other animals yeah. down there have giant eyeballs. In fact, most of them are blind.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That
2: so, so that's cool. so awesome. Yeah, kind of amazing giant squids and huge eyeballs. Okay, so monochromats have this, you know, some some of them still have amazing vision, even if they can't see color. I think as humans, sometimes we we kind of think that, you know, we have to see color in order to have this amazing, cool experience with color and colors, this sort of magical thing. But actually, yeah, a lot yeah. of animals don't see that much color. Uh, a lot of animals we used to think actually that were monochromats do actually see some color though. So dogs Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fairly recently it has been revealed that dogs actually are, are basically blue-green colorblind. So they see yellow and blue and sort of shades of gray and sort of violet colors-ish sort of thing. Cool. So, yeah. So if you want to get your dog a cool toy, you get them either a blue toy or a yellow toy, something they can really see that will really stand out for them. But if you get them something red, it's just going to look like a muddy, yeah. So that's kind yeah, of a nice thing I was thing amazed
0: to at all the red dog toys. Red is like yeah. the biggest dog toy color. And it's like, oh, they can't.
2: They, can. they can't yeah. see that. They're not enjoying <laughs>
0: that color. Yeah. That's for the humans. the other ones. Yeah, that's the
2: for face. the humans. Yeah. <laughs> so humans are what's called trichromats. So we have three cone cells and we get to see red, right? And we get to see yellow and we see blue. And then if you kind of think of that as a, as a, as a triangle, we see mm-hmm. red, yellow, and blue. And then everything that those colors mix Make. with, right? So right. that makes right. our rainbow, our color spectrum.
0: Like your but, primary and your secondary yes, colors. Yeah.
2: So the blue cone, though, which is one of our photoreceptors, has well, the blue cone ha- is a cell that has all the photoreceptors in it that mm-hmm. sends that information to our brain. So we perceive the color even if the color doesn't truly exist. Does that make sense? Like our yeah. brains are what's creating the color in our head, but we don't actually see the color itself. It's just something our brain is coming up with. But we're I mean, seeing the wavelengths of light,
0: wavelengths of light. Right, right. Yes.
2: right. So there's a wavelength of got light that is a UV wavelength. And that is actually a photoreceptor on the blue cone. We should technically be able to see it, except we can't because we have lenses that let us have very, very uh, good vision, typically, unless you're like most of us that need glasses. But we still have lenses and that filters out the UV light. So we generally cannot see UV light unless we've had some sort of damage to our eyeball and had our lens removed now this is kind of cool because monet and people sometimes don't know this about monet but he had a, a cataract surgery and for a long time his vision was crazy he couldn't see anything and his art reflects that so you can see through a progression of his art where he he does some amazing paintings and then it gets really crazy for a while it looks like he's seen through some mm-hmm. sort of circus lens and mm-hmm. then it goes back to normal again except all of the blues and the whites now he has sort of blended together to create this new kind of blue white color and water lilies and that sort of thing mm-hmm. now you can see all this at sciencehistory.org uh, an article written by sam keen on january 11th 2022 shows this progression and it's he has this progression in his paintings because he actually gained UV vision. After his Whoa, cataract huh. surgery, he could Very actually cool. see UV light and started to paint what that looked like to him.
0: That's wild. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah.
2: So that's kind of amazing. Okay, so I want to jump to the last thing, which is tetrachromats, which are animals that actually have four cones, not just three. Okay. And... Right. So, okay. So get ready to really have your mind blown. They can actually, many of tetrachromats have a whole nother cone of colors that they can see that mix again with all of the colors that we can see. So they can't just see a few more colors than us. Tetrachromats. uh, So remember, we talked about that triangle of the three cones and we can see kind of all of the blend of colors within that triangle you add another cone on there and you've basically got a pyramid of color that you can okay. see. Yeah. And they can see all of those range of colors. So if you're a tetrachromat, okay. you're, you can see probably hundreds, if not thousands, of more colors than we could see because of all of the different variations that those four colors or those four photoreceptors can make. That's wild. So, right. And if if you... The problem with this for us trying to think about what that would be like is that we can never imagine it because you can't even make a device where it's like, okay, so let's like look through this device and that will show us these other colors, right? Because our brains cannot perceive them. They will just look like regular our colors to us. Mm -hmm. We Uh, can't see it no matter what. We can't imagine it. We know it's there but we can't create some sort of thing to let us see it. Unless... So <laughs> you were actually born a tetrachromat human, which does exist. Yeah, what? <laughs> so... Very cool. Ed, through his research, has, 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 has brought up that they think that there's probably about 48,000 people in the UK alone that are tetrachromats. They only know of one for sure, Ooh, and she cool. keeps her, her identity very secret um, and just does very, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, she does some, uh, she works with one scientist and, and that's the only person who knows who she is. Right. But these people, these 48,000 people in the UK alone that are, are probably tetrachromats don't know it because to them, it's, it's totally normal. normal. Right. Yeah. They don't realize that the rest of us can't see these colors. And they wouldn't know unless they took a special test that would would say, Okay, can you pick out, you know, these things that are painted with different UV light or whatever it is that they can see? Sure. I mean to us you it just might don't just know.
0: Look like look at these eight squares. And we're like, yeah, they're all yeah. blue. And you're like, no, these are right. all different shades of blue, you know, or whatever, you know. Right. And so it's like they just have such finer tuned vision, which is really cool.
1: That
2: is so yeah. wild. So that's that is my that is my uh, information for today. I hope I completely blew your minds. There's so much more yeah. in that book, oh and I'm goodness. not even, like, in through the sixth chapter yet. So just, yeah, it's amazing. Oh,
0: Cool thing to check that's
1: out. That's so cool. Oh, definitely have to check it out. Thank you, Marika.
0: Thank you. Yeah, well, we'll let's go to a break, and uh, when we come back, I've got uh, one more little uh, bit of science to have you think about. Ooh. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This week, I wanted to take a slight detour to a strange corner of nature that we've been to before, but we haven't ventured into in a while. I All want right. to talk about extinct extinct species. So, no, no, don't worry. Uh, we've got plenty of strange living species left as fodder for the show, but once in a while, it's fun to look uh, to the past and realize that uh, as strange as animals are today, the wide variety of options uh, that have been tried and discarded by uh, evolution throughout the years, uh, you know, has created a, a staggering and fascinating mismatch of, you know, animals. So oh, 100%. This week, yeah, this week I've been thinking about the Dunkleosteus. I know I'm off the bat. <laughs> the Dunkleosteus. And l- like all good scientific names, there is ongoing debate about how to pronounce this one. Of Some course. people prefer to say hmm. Dunkleosteus uh, instead of Dunkleosteus because I think Dunkleosteus sounds more sort of it's british like isn't it that's the other, how the british do it well right. yeah or it's is, is this sort of some of the it sounds like some of the maybe the dinosaurs and things that we know um right. but after actually this this species was named after a guy named David Dunkle so mm, what a name in deference, to, in deference in deference to the the guy it was actually named after i'm i'm going to go with a pronunciation that actually sounds like his name uh so when it comes to these creatures well First off, I, I need to confess something. Uh, I am not a big fan of swimming in lakes. Uh, yes. I've gotten better about it over the years. Uh, and during the pandemic, we actually bought a, a, like a cheap boat so we could get out of the house and enjoy the many of the, the lakes lake. that the area I live in is, fa- is famous for. Uh but And being able to get out on the water and away from the weedy shore, boy, that sure helps because I just can't stand the feeling of like plants on my legs when I'm swimming. Uh, I will admit, <laughs> though, Weird I'm about not a park. fan. I'm right. not a fan of there being fish in the water I'm swimming in. OK, so sure, it's rare. Uh, yeah. But once in a while, you do hear stories about like a big muskie deciding it wants to take a nibble on someone's toes and hands. uh, And by nibble, I mean the kind of bites that require a trip to the urgent care for 13 stitches. Uh If you are curious, a cursory Google image search will turn up lots of really gross photos uh, and make you also not keen on swimming in lakes.
1: (laughs) They will not be on our social media.
0: uh, No, you have to (laughs) look those up yourself. I I don't think I'm being irrational. I just don't like being eaten, which I think is a very rational thing.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's why I don't like pineapple. Some people...
0: Yeah, exactly. The, the fruit that eats you back. Now, some people do love water, uh, and they're simply drawn to it. They want to be in the ocean or lakes at all time. And look, that's fine for like those human merfolk. Uh, but I know the <laughs> truth. There have always been things in the water willing to eat us, right? Right. So I am thankful, ever so thankful, that Dunkleosteus is not currently one of the critters we need to worry about. In order for that to be an issue, we'd need a time machine to venture back to when North America was an ocean uh, they, they were around during the Devonian period, so about okay. three hundred and eighty two to three hundred and fifty eight mm-hmm. million years ago, mm-hmm. quite a long time ago Just uh, a tad. so we are talking about a, we are talking about a fish here, but it's probably important to note that we're talking about a very big fish. Interestingly, we don't know how big they were, at least not exactly. Much of a okay. fish, uh, like any fish, is made out of soft tissue, and that's mm-hmm. going to rot away before it can be fossilized. Now, little mm. tiny fish, I've got a little tiny fish fossil here in my house, uh, they can fossilize just just fine, as they can be rapidly covered over by, say, mud from a storm. But a big fish, like a really big soft fish, is going to be very difficult to turn into a fossil. Current best estimates for the size of this creature are between 10-10. And 33 feet in length. Hmm. <laughs> so
1: in, in
0: other words, using our standard unit of measure here in the show, uh, right? they may have been over six Rachels long.
1: I don't like that. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I don't either. That's real. I'm not swimming in that water. Now, um, size is not necessarily what makes something intimidating. There's some real gentle giants uh, out there in the ocean. The but Blue I think Ale. we can be pretty sure. Sh- yeah, I think we're pretty sure that uh was not one of them. We know we only know they exist because their you know, their bodies didn't fossilize but their heads certainly did and they are Oh, <laughs> they're they're just they're terrifying. Oh good. Um, yeah, I have a photo uh, for both of you to look at.
2: Okay. So oh, take a look. look.
0: Oh there. You can get a yeah?
2: plushy Dunkelosteus.
0: Oh, you can get a plushie. That that's amazing. Yeah. But if you look at the fossilized head oh. there, um, can you yep. can you describe for an audience who oh. maybe uh, can't look right now what you're seeing? Um. Oh. So. <laughs> where to begin? Right. Yeah. Where, yeah. Um, where do you
1: begin? It look. It reminds me a lot of like a, a turtle head. Um, yes. Like, yeah. But mm. fish fish I guess fishalized. It uh, has a really like almost like a has, turtle like, head no put on a shark nose.
2: Glue a yeah. turtle head to a shark.
1: Yeah, with like a really uh-huh. flat, narrow nose. It looks armored almost. Um, uh huh. Very armored. Yeah. It. I think I've seen one of these. <laughs> <laughs> um. W-
0: while you were swimming, or you know, just no, uh,
2: like a, a a fossilized version of this. Oh,
0: good. Um, How come there
2: hasn't been a horror movie about this yet?
0: You know, Uh, that's a topic that comes up on this show a lot. There's a rich vein of horror movie material. Are those teeth? Yeah, what you're describing is dead on. Yeah, it's got these teeth that are... Like front teeth. Like they look like Uh, almost
1: shark teeth. I don't want (laughs) to know.
0: They're not quite like shark teeth. They're like these long... Like this like shape, very Beak. long linear teeth with yeah, and that's at why I think the whole front. idea of like the 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 turtle head, like you were talking about, is very apt. That it's mm-hmm. it's these sort of like ridges on the jaw. Uh, they are just amazing. Now, what you're <gasps> looking at, if you if anyone looks online or if you look on our Instagram or Facebook posts, what you'll see, uh, what we're looking at we're looking at. Um, A particular species with a species epithet is uh, Terrielli, uh, which is named after J. Terrielli, who discovered the fossil. And most of these are discovered uh, in the Americas, a lot of them in North America. Um, there's actually been some recent discoveries of partially preserved soft tissues, not of the whole animal, but like kind of getting a little bit more of an idea that suggests these animals looked more like sharks than anything else. And you had mentioned uh, sharks in there. I yeah. think we kind of had presumed in the past they were more like sort of these slow moving uh, kind of fish who had more of these kind of. I don't know how to describe it, more like fish kind of flippers than um shark, because sharks got a little so bit So really sort of thin like
1: rays, like really, really thin, thin um fins. Like bluegill yeah, kind of thing. Kinda, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're thinking maybe they were more sort of shark-like. Uh, but again, oh. we'll probably learn more as we find more of these um more fossils that maybe were preserved better. We do now, uh newer research is, is thinking they probably were not ambush predators, but more like they were fast swimmers who are going after stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about those jaws, though, because uh, you know <laughs> I realize that modern-day shark mouths are scary. I mean, they're very scary. But this thing is just scary and destructive in a completely different way. And right. it, like I said, it does remind me a bit of what a snapping turtle head might look like if it was armored, uh, had mm-hmm. serrated edges along the beak there and was from like a 30 foot long turtle. That's kind of the vibe we're we're going for here.
1: Yeah. The fact that they're like embedded in the jaw is what's getting me.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, and of course, we don't know whenever you're looking at a fossil. you I love those things. We talked about this on the show before where there's like. The they'll take a modern animal and they'd be like, here's what uh, you know, if paleontologists found a hippo, what they'd probably what the artists would assume a hippo looked like based just <laughs> on the, the skull. And of course yeah. it's completely wrong. Cause like we don't have that soft tissue. And not to like dunk on, you know, the paleo artists. They're they're doing the best in trying to make and we we've gotten better at, at figuring what these things might have looked like, but sometimes there's crazy soft tissue structures that you never would have imagined are there. So um mm-hmm. but yeah the the look we're going for here is pretty wild and those sort of serrated armored teeth in the head are, are just wild but the jaw itself has a really interesting mechanism to for opening and closing that meant they could snap open and closed extremely fast so researchers oh, have done some some math and whatnot and they estimate that this animal could open its massive jaw in 20 milliseconds mm-hmm. Now for reference, you guys can try this at home as well. Just go ahead and blink for me just once. Like blink. Okay, you just blinked, right? Mhm. Your eyes were closed for 150 milliseconds. On <laughs> Unconsciously, you know, blink that you do, right? So, that was 150. They can open their jaw in 20 milliseconds, and they think that the entire process of like the bite opening and closing took 60 milliseconds. Wow. So these things could literally take an entire bite out of something in less than half of a blink of an eye, which is terrifying and amazing.
2: Okay. So yeah. why did they die out? Right. That sounds like they were a pretty good predator.
0: Yeah, that's always the the mystery of like, why did does anything die out? Is it that the, um, the habitat changed and their food source went away? Is it that they evolved into something else? Is it that there was a more successful predator? You know, did did sharks, for example, fill a similar niche and they just kind of were outcompeted? Uh, clearly, mm-hmm. they were around for a super long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many different species that were out there and they evolved to different species. So this was a successful mm-hmm. body plan for quite a long time. It could just be that over time, they eventually get outcompeted. competed. Um, you think about even a lot of the dinosaurs super successful, yeah. but habit habitats changed. Mm. Um, other animals evolved different, different features. And, you know, I mean, we still have birds today, uh, mm-hmm. which are still very successful, but a lot of those really big, uh, types of, uh, dinosaurs just, you know, not around anymore, even though they were mm-hmm. successful for a really long time. Um, I will say one of the little fun things that the biting force on that jaw was very high, perhaps as high as one thousand six hundred sixty four pounds of biting force, uh, which is Mm. uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. So uh, that's you know, that's that there. That's kind of what I got for you. The 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 dunkelosteus, it's an amazing, strange and powerful ocean predator from the Devonian. Uh, (laughs) Summer, I will remind you, is just around the corner. So just be thankful we aren't <laughs> swimming with something that will cut you in two in less than a blink of an eye. And uh, I will say my uh, most of my you know, numbers and, and sources this week uh, were from Wikipedia. So shout out to the hardworking editors over there. Wow. Well,
2: if you did swim with one, at least if it bit you, you yeah. wouldn't really know it.
0: No, probably not. Um, I think no, they, there's some thought dead. that they had. Yeah. They had, you know, when you see animals that can do that sort of explosive opening of the mouth, that mm. can often be used for sucking, literally creating a vacuum to suck things in. So mm. something may have been sucked in and then snapped in half, which right. um, would be pretty terrifying. Yeah. But luckily, we're not just for everybody watching, though, in the Devonian. So yeah. I'm yeah, glad everyone that watching. We're not. You know, if you blink at just the right time, you wouldn't even see it happen. So, I think just we're be gone. gone. Yeah. Maybe that's why they haven't put it into a movie yet is, you know, you just blink and you're like, what has happened? You missed, you missed all the action.
2: I have a fun thing for you to go do, Kirk. Have you heard of fish pedicures?
0: Oh, you know, I've seen this done. um, (laughs) And even some of the lakes around here, if you you are in the water, the little tiny fish will come and kind of swim around you and stuff. And maybe they'll come up and take a little, you know, kind of poke at you. It's fine. Uh, You know, I don't need that done. Um, I'm just, you know, I... I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of fish touching my feet. Nope. (laughs) It's not like a phobia. If someone was going to pay for it, like, come on, I was going to do this a fun thing. I'd be like, okay, fine. I'll do it. But like with, I'm, cause I, but also they're like in a clear lucite box. You can see them. You know, we get tiger muskies here in Minnesota that are like, I don't know, they're like four feet long and have these mouths full of razor sharp teeth and they live in the lakes where I sometimes go swimming. I know I I'm not excited about that at all that's hmm. fair oh <laughs> uh. Uh, well you've made it to the end of another episode thank you so much everybody
1: uh, Marika any thank you
0: for joining us this week thanks for joining us yeah yeah oh, thank you it was out. a lot of fun uh give us the name you're... of your podcast one more time
2: yeah the deal with animals with Marika Bell
0: oh everyone go so, check it check out, her out. Thanks for being on, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show.